You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. And it's August, which means it's my birthday month. I am so excited. I love my birthday every year, but especially this year because I'm turning 30, which is crazy. I don't I don't feel like it, but I am. Um, and I'm just so excited about it. So we are going to do a bunch of fun stuff this month. So stay tuned to the end of this episode to find out all of the birthday shenanigans we have in store. But until then, let's get back to the history. Today, we are diving into some women's history and a time period we don't often talk about, World War II. It's not that I don't like World War II, it's just that there are so many people talking about it, so many books, so many documentaries, so many podcasts dedicated solely to the topic that I think there's enough stuff out there. But there are those rare times, those few moments when I come across a World War II event or person that just catches my eye or catches my ire (laughs) because I'm a little bit salty about this topic today. Today, we will be learning about the triple agent Matilda Carré and her roller coaster of a life as one of the so-called most dangerous spies in the world. But save your judgment till the end of the episode, my friend, because we've got a lot to unpack. So grab your best trench coat and a magnifying glass because we are going to do some sleuthing and let's get to it. Two, there are two books written about Matilda Carré. And whatever your feelings about her by the end of this episode, I definitely feel like there should be more books written about the women who, like, basically co-founded one of the only intelligence organizations coming out of France and the largest one in occupied France during World War II. But more on that later. I think to fully understand Matilda's choices that we'll talk about later on, we have to go back to her childhood and her early life. Matilda was born in 1908 in the small town of, excuse my French, Le Cressot. Yeah, Le Cressot. (laughs) She lived with her grandparents and had quite the unhappy childhood. It was like she was the child that no one really wanted. In Roland Phillips' book about her, he describes her early life as quite sad and mundane with no connection to her parents, which left her feeling unwanted and unloved. She went to school and became a teacher, and in her early 20s, she married another teacher, Maurice Carré, and moved with him to Oran, Algeria. She was actually stuck between marrying him and another man, and while sitting on the top step of the grand staircase of the Palais de Justice, Matilda flipped a coin and decided between a fellow named Mark and Maurice Carré. Mark was heads and Maurice was tails. 
and I'm sorry for the early spoil alert, it was Tails. So she married Maurice in 1933, but the marriage was not a happy one, and they divorced six years later, and she returned to France in 1939, on the eve of World War II. When she arrived in France, she, like many others, saw what was coming and decided to join the fight as a nurse. She joined a group of 80 women who trained and became nurses. But in 1940, amid the impending invasion of the German army, all but three of the nurses fled with their families in the Paris Exodus, which was when 8 million people altogether fled to the south and west of France. Matilda was among the three that stayed with the other military nurses. While working as a nurse, she fell in love with the soldier she was attending to. And you know, on a side note, in almost every resource I read about her, they described her as having an affair with the soldier, which which she wasn't married. And as far as anyone else was informed, neither was the soldier. So why call it an affair? Why call it an affair? I was so caught up on this I even googled like what is the connotation of affair and it's always negative when it has to do with a relationship like that when when it's a romantic relationship it's always negative so I don't understand why they did this it's just another way history likes to pick away at the image of women who just happen to have sex with someone but this is only the beginning of the salt my friend only the beginning But I digress. So, she starts a relationship with the soldier, and she finds herself pregnant. She's forced to retreat again with the French Army Nursing Corps, and in a rapid and terrible turn of events, she loses her baby and her relationship. And also, she's fleeing imminent danger, so she just having a very terrible time. And at that moment of her life, she is just on the brink of ending everything. And in fact, she writes in her memoirs that one night she finds herself on a bridge in the middle of the night, ready to jump and end it all. She just wants to be loved. She just wants to be useful, needed, important. And her life is just crashing down around her. But instead of jumping, she decides that she will be the next Joan of Arc and live her life trying to defend France. And if she dies doing that, it will be a much better use of her life and her death. And in a weird twist of serendipitous fate, just two days after this, she meets the man that will change her life forever. In a small restaurant in Tolose that is actually still there today, Matilda met a man pretending to be French. They hit it off right away, and this mysterious man with a terrible French accent tells Matilda that his French is so terrible because he grew up outside of France, and he actually wants to learn to speak better, so he inquires if she might like to teach him French sometime. He invites her to his apartment, where they do not in fact learn French, but rather she learns that this man is not French, and he is actually Roman Garby Cherniowski, and he's Polish, and a spy for the Allied forces, specifically England. And he also wanted to know if she wanted to join him. And Matilda, who always dreamed that 
her life was meant for something bigger and who just days ago declared that she would be the next Joan of Arc for France and wanted to give up her life for her country was like, um, hell yes, I am so in, which is not a direct quote, but I imagine that it must have gone something like that. And these two freaking get to work. Germany had just popped up so fast and so strong that the Allied forces hadn't really had time to establish spy shit in France to get intelligence information out of the country. So Matilda, now codenamed Victoire, Victoire? Yeah, that, that sounds right. And Roman, codenamed Valentine, quickly organized a whole network of spies and communication systems and all sorts of other spy stuff to get information about Germany's plans out of France and to England. Together, they created the organization Intervalier. And this is where Matilda frickin' shines. She doesn't care what happens to her. She's brave and smart and crazy banana sandwich organized. So many sources I looked at were like, yeah, Roman did this and Roman did that. And he was the one that was in charge, air quotes. But Matilda, boy, howdy. Roman may have been the front man, but Matilda kept the whole operation organized and running. Germans weren't looking for women spies at the time because, you know, sexism and all that. So Matilda had free range to just do all sorts of espionage shenanigans. She was in charge of a whole letter system that involved her getting on a train and unscrewing a sign in a bathroom to put those letters in that would then be picked up by someone on the English side to get the intelligence to London. Then she would go around collecting other information and depositing other information in mailboxes that weren't actually mailboxes. They were like secret mailboxes. And she had to remember all of that. She had to remember all of these code names. She had to remember who was on their side and who wasn't on their side, which German soldiers she could extract information from, and which ones she should avoid. This woman's brain was like going 37,000 miles a minute. And in addition to being the one collecting all of this information and keeping all of this information in her brain, she also was in charge of recruiting all of the spies in France because a lot of them just wouldn't work for a Polish person and because many of them didn't want to work for a Polish man, Matilda was the one that the spies reported to. And as if that wasn't enough. As if all of that wasn't enough. She also had to deal with sexist garbage humans on her own side. At first, they had a huge problem with reporting to Matilda because she was a woman, but it didn't even matter. It didn't even matter because Matilda was so collected and so cool-headed and super capable of inspiring confidence in her fellow spies that she quickly became the most valuable member of the team, which was now 120 spies strong and the largest intelligence group in all of France at the time. The Interallier organization was vital to fighting the German army. They provided intelligence on troop movements, food supplies, flights, weapons, future plans, false information, group operations, sky operations, all of the things, all of the intelligence, just everything you could possibly imagine. All of that information came out of France through Interallier. 
Soon, Matilda and Roman fell in love and started a relationship. They were a super spy power couple, and Matilda could not have been happier. Her life was finally the way she had dreamed it would be. She was needed. She felt useful. She was in love. And people respected her and looked up to her and counted on her for a lot of stuff. And she was just kicking some major Nazi tuckus. And if this were a movie, she would have continued on this way until the end of the war. And then she would have been praised by the Allied forces. She would have been given accolades and awards for playing such a vital role in the war and being basically second in command in the largest intelligence organization in occupied France. But this is not a movie. And eventually, someone turned on Interallier and everything came crashing down around her. This episode is sponsored by She Podcasts Live. She Podcasts Live is the world's largest gathering of women podcasters, audio content creators, storytellers, and more. From October 11th to the 14th, join thousands of other women and gender-neutral people in D.C. for an empowering podcast gathering like no other. She Podcast Live will be bringing a diverse and inclusive lineup of speakers, presentations from top microphone producers, and industry leaders like Podbean, Spotify, and many more. During the day, get educated, and at night, enjoy the best parties, including an introvert-extrovert party, a garden party, and a slumber party complete with movies, snacks, and pajamas. For more details and to buy tickets, head to ShePodcastLive.com and use code FLH, FLH standing for For the Love of History, for $50 off your ticket. Thank you again to ShePodcast for sponsoring this episode. On the night of November 17, 1941, Abwehr, one of Germany's counterintelligence organizations, arrested Matilda. Roman, the other head of Interallier, and several other members had been given up by another spy. Hugo Bletcher, the infamous Nazi spy hunter, rounded up as many members as he could and interrogated them for information. His sole job was to stop Interallier in its tracks. Matilda had been thrown in jail and left for days until he finally went and got her. Hugo's preferred method of interrogation was that of psychological warfare. Hugo took Matilda to a very nice hotel room and gave her two options. Be killed or worse. Or two, become a double agent for Germany 
and save the lives of her comrades. And I know, I know, so many people, myself included in the past, would say, oh, if, if that was me, I would never turn or I would never talk. They would have to kill me. But it's easy for people to say that now because we have the hindsight of history. We know what the Germans were doing. But when faced, really faced with that reality, when that is the choice you are given, die or worse, or be turned, I don't think that it would be an easy decision to make. France had the terrible problem of being right in the middle of things. They didn't want to be invaded by Germany, and they didn't like Hitler, but they also wanted to survive, to take care of their family, their friends, their children. Lots of French citizens, companies, and politicians were forced to make hideous decisions between the lesser of two evils. And Matilda, brave as she may have been as a spy, she was probably scared out of her mind. There were a few historians that were quite cruel when describing Matilda during this time. They said things like, she wasn't even tortured, and yet she turned, or she gave herself up without putting up a fight which is just blatantly not true. She may not have been tortured like her partner Roman, but she was assaulted by Hugo. And this is a torture of another kind. And she was also told that by becoming a double agent, she would be saving the lives of her comrades. Because if she gave them up, they wouldn't be killed. They wouldn't be tortured. They would just be detained, which was absolute bullshit. But in the end... Hugo did get Matilda to become a double agent, and for months she ran the Interallier as if nothing had happened, supplying the Abwehr and thus Germany with loads of intelligence and information. Soon after her capture, Matilda was in a sexual relationship with Hugo, but I hesitate to think that it was romantic in any way, but rather as a need for protection against other SS members in the Abfur. Because although she was a double agent, she was French. She was the enemy. And this one small thing would end up ruining her in the eyes of the Axis power. But we'll come back to that later. After four months of being a double agent for Germany, the London unit had no idea that she had been turned But one still free and active member, Pierre de Vomecourt, began to suspect that Matilda was a double agent. So he tested her loyalty by asking her to produce ID papers for him in order for him to leave France and go back to London for a debrief and give them vital information. Matilda was like, uh, yes, and she saw this as a way to get herself out. She had to be sneaky, though and double agenty about all of this. Because Hugo and the other Nazi spies were always suspicious of her, so she had to play it cool. She told the Abfer of her plan to give Pierre the papers and go with him as a double agent and report back to Abfer everything that she learned in London. I guess that would be a triple agent. She would be a triple agent. (laughs) She would go back to London but report back to Germany. 
But her real plan was to actually go to London, tell them everything that happened, and escape her captors because she didn't want to be a double agent. All she wanted to do was help her country. So, with authentic German documents in hand, Matilda met Pierre in January of 1942. Pierre saw the ID papers and was like, uh, this is suspicious. This is sus. Because they're actually real-ass ID papers. He asked Matilda, girl, are you a double agent? And she just broke down crying and explained the whole thing. And this was so banana sandwich brave of her because you know what? Pierre could have just straight up killed her right there, right then, because those were the espionage rules at the time. But he believed her and they began planning their escape. It took a long time to plan to get them out of France. And in those months, Pierre and Matilda developed a relationship. He heard her story. He understood that she had no choice but to be a double agent. He convinced her to be a triple agent, I guess. I am confused on what number of agents she was. <laughs> but I guess triple agent now at this point. To go back to London and report everything that Germany was doing. So, after months of planning, the two finally got out of France with the Abfur, thinking that they had a double agent going to London, but actually she was a triple agent now, or quadruple agent, whatever. Because upon landing, Matilda spilled all the beans and the bratwurst on Germany. And thank goodness for Pierre, because he vouched for her. He refused to leave her side until the special operations executive, England's like one of their spy groups called SOE. We're just going to call them SOE. Until the SOE guaranteed that she would not be locked up as a prisoner. So he stayed with her. And thank goodness for Pierre. Like Pierre was an MVP. But no matter how much Pierre vouched for her and no matter how much intelligence information Matilda gave them, the SOE didn't freaking believe her. And you know why? The thing, the straw that broke the camel's back, the reason why they really just couldn't believe her? Because she slept with a German. <gasps> mm, friend, oh, I could scream. I could, I could scream. Because you know what? There are literally thousands of babies that were born from French and English spies who... Oh, who hooked up with German women while on the job. But did they get in that much trouble? Nope, nobody, nope, nope, friend. Nope, freaking nope. So after being interrogated by the SOE, she was arrested as a spy and detained in Holloway Prison until the end of the war. Pierre had to go back to Germany. He couldn't blow his cover, so he had to leave her, regrettably. France asked for her back several times, because they wanted to write their moral compass. France did not have the luxury of being on the good side or the bad side. Quote, unquote, good side, bad side. They weren't the heroes like England or the States, nor were they the bad guys like Germany. They were forced to operate in the gray, and they wanted to establish the country's morals again by having a freaking ton of trials. 
Eventually, Matilda was deported back to France, where she was tried and sentenced to death. But Matilda's lawyer, seeing the rock in a hard place that Matilda was forced between, and her past heroic deeds for the country, made a plea to the court to change the sentence from death to life in prison. No one disputed her turning into a double agent, not even Matilda herself. In her memoirs, she calls it the biggest moment of pure animal cowardice in her life. The change of sentence was granted, and she was no longer on death row, but served life in prison. However, she was released from prison in September of 1954 for good behavior. She faded away into obscurity. She wanted nothing to do with the public. She was ashamed and wanted to live her life in solitude. She wrote one book about her experience and her life, so as to have her version of events out there in the world. But other than that, she was so closed off from the world that many believed that she died in the 60s, but actually she passed away in her home in 2007, with hardly a soul aware of what she had done. And while Matilda's life was not one of purely great heroism or great evil, I believe her story is more representative of what the war was really like for the majority of people. Because in life, and certainly not war, things are never black and white. friend we have come to our final thought it is a two-parter it's a two-parter final thought it's a final thought <laughs> so first a little book wreck if you want to learn more about matilda and get a very objective look at her life and time and actions in war i highly recommend reading victoria a wartime story of resistance collaboration and betrayal by roland phillips this was the least biased book uh, or resource that I came across in all my research on Matilda. It's super duper good. And second, I have a very big bone to pick with all of these other historians' descriptions of cats. One of Matilda's code names was La Chate or The Cat in French, and everyone was like, that's such a fitting nickname for her because just like a cat, Matilda was cold and unfeeling. Or they would say things like, cats have loyalty to only themselves, which is why the cat was a perfect code name for Matilda. And as a cat mom, I take great offense to that. Obviously, these ridiculous historians have some sort of deep character flaw because cats are the best. And that, dear one, is a hill I am very willing to die on. Well, my delicious little donut, that is all she wrote. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know we didn't necessarily have a happy ending, but not a bad ending either, but it was no doubt a super interesting episode. I had a really good time. I thought it was interesting, and if you thought this episode was interesting, consider sending it to a friend or recommending it to your barista next time you're at a coffee shop. 
If you'd like to support the podcast and help me continue making the best content I possibly can, you can join Patreon or donate to the Coffee and Research Fund. And if you're looking for some super cute things to put on your little tootsies, we have some new merch in the merch store. Some for the love of history slides. And they are so stinking cute. And if slides aren't your thing, there's all sorts of other merch if you're interested. So it is my birthday month this month, and we are going to be doing a lot of fun things over on Instagram and here. So we're going to be having a special episode about the history of TK. And my mom is visiting, so she will be a special guest on that episode. And it's so fitting because she is, in fact, the creator of TK. (laughs) And the episode is going to come out on my birthday on August 25th. So if you'd like to ask any questions about me, about the podcast, about baby TK, maybe there's something that you'd like to ask my mom, go ahead and head on over to Instagram. I'll be having question boxes in my stories all throughout the month for you to submit your questions. And if somehow you don't see any of the question boxes, go ahead and send me a DM, send me an email. Any one of those things are fine. I will also be doing a book and merch giveaway on Instagram and a birthday live over on Instagram. We're going to eat cake. We're going to have drinks. It's going to be fun. So head on over to Instagram for all of that information. Okay. I've talked long enough. So until I talk to you again, take care of yourself. Do something that makes you happy. Drink your water. And I will see you next week when we talk about Deadly Sexy Spice. Okay, bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Okay. <laughs>